Bug Jargal by Victor Hugo Chapter 51 I walked between my guards without offering any resistance. It is true that it would have been useless. We ascended the brow of a hill situated to the west of the savannah, where we rested a moment. I cast a last lingering look at the setting sun, which would never rise again for me. My guards mounted. I followed them. We descended into a little valley, which, under any other circumstances, would have enchanted me. A stream ran through it and communicated to the soil a fruitful humidity. The stream fell at the end of the dale into one of those blue lakes which abound in the hills of Santo Domingo. How often in happier days I have sat and dreamed on the borders of these beautiful lakes in the twilight hour, when their deep azure changed into a sheet of silver, or when the reflections of the first stars sowed the surface with golden spangles. This hour passes as quickly as it comes, but it must pass. How lovely this valley appeared to me. There are the plane trees and maples of gigantic growth, closely grown thickets of Mauritius, a kind of palm which allows no other vegetation to flourish beneath its shade. Date trees, magnolias with their large calyx, the tall catalpa, showing their polished and exquisitely chiseled leaves among the golden buds of the ebony trees. The Canadian maple mingled its yellow flowers with the blue aureolas of that species of the wild honeysuckle, which the Negroes call koali. Thick curtains of luxurious creepers concealed the bare sides of the neighboring rocks. There arose from the virgin soil a soft perfume, such as the first man may have inhaled among the first roses of Eden. We continued our way along the footpath traced on the brink of the torrent. I was surprised to notice that this path closed abruptly at the foot of a tall peak, below which I noticed a natural archway from which flowed a rapid torrent. A dull roar and an impetuous wind issued from this natural arch. The Negroes took a path to the left, which led into a cavern which seemed to be the bed of a torrent that had long been dried up. A vault presented itself, half shut up by brambles, holly, and wild thorns which crossed it. A noise like that in the arch in the valley was heard under this vault. The blacks dragged me there. As I took the first step into the cavern, the obi came to my side and whispered in a strange voice, This is what I have to predict now. Only one of us two shall go out of this vault and pass again by this road. I disdained to make any reply. We advanced farther into the gloom. The noise became louder. We could not hear footsteps. I fancied that this noise was produced by a waterfall. I was not deceived. After moving through the darkness ten minutes, we found ourselves on a kind of internal platform formed by nature in the center of the mountain. The larger portion of this semicircular platform was inundated by a torrent which burst from the interior of the mountain with a terrible din. Above this subterranean hall, the roof rose into the shape of a dome, covered with moss of a yellowish hue. This vault was traversed by a large opening through which the daylight penetrated, and the sides of the crevasse were fringed with green trees, gilded just now by rays of the sun. 
At the northern extremity of the platform, the torrent fell with a frightful noise into a deep abyss, over which appeared to float, without being able to illuminate its depths, a feeble portion of the light which came through the aperture in the roof. Over this precipice hung an old tree, whose topmost branches were filled with the foam of the waterfall, and whose knotty roots pierced the rock one or two feet below the brink. This tree, whose top and roots were both swept by the torrent, and hung over the abyss like a skeleton arm, was destitute of foliage, so that I could not distinguish its species. It had a strange and weird appearance. The humidity, which saturated its roots, prevented it from dying, whilst the force of the cataract tore off its new branches and left only the old.' 